This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. I want to show you a picture of a friend of mine. Uh, this is a new church plant. It's not in the Diocese of the Upper Midwest. It's in uh, Jawaka Province of Papua New Guinea. You have to say it like that, Jawaka. So um, the man in the front in the white shorts is a man named Appa. Appa Toll is his name. And you have to say that with a long O like that, Toll, Appa Toll. Um, Appa is the pastor of this church, and as you can see, it's in midway being built. It is a church for persons in Papua New Guinea with physical and developmental disabilities. So as you can imagine, in a third world country, there's the poor, and then there's the really poor, and then there's the below the really poor. Persons with disabilities are often below the really poor. So he's starting this church for persons with disabilities. Let me tell you his story. So he was a man who was, didn't grow up as a believer, was not a Christian. Um, he met the Lord through some really painful circumstances, actually. He was in a land dispute with some relatives. Actually, the land that he owns, actually that land. Um, and they wanted to take that land from him, so they beat him nearly to the point of death. That's how he wound up at Kujip Nazarene Hospital, a Christian hospital in the Western Highlands of Papua New Guinea, where he received some excellent medical care, and he also came to know the Lord. He came to know Jesus. He was born again. He was born again to a living hope. Um, Christ took out of his heart all of the pain and sorrow and bitterness and hatred that he has felt for years. So after a long two-month healing process, he wound up staying on at Kujip Hospital as a security guard. And one day there was an American man there on a short-term mission trip. His name was Paul. I've never met him. I don't know his last name. He was from Ohio or Indiana or something like that. And um, they became friends. And one day while uh, Appa was on his security guard detail, Paul asked him, Appa, what do you really want to do with your life? I mean, if you want to be a security guard, that's great, but is there something else you really want to do? And Appa said, oh, Paul, I want to be a pastor. I want to start a church for persons with disabilities. But I could never afford Bible college. It's 1,700 kina, which is $500, a small fortune for a little village farmer like Appa. Paul said, you will go to Bible school if that's God's call, and I will pay for it. I will pay for your Bible college for two years or three years. And Paul did. So there's Appa with his church plant in Jawaka province, the church for persons with disabilities. Now, I love that story because this man named Paul, he is living out exactly what we heard at the tail end of our first scripture reading, where Paul gives a charge to some Christians in the church that Timothy was pastoring, and he says, see an opportunity and do good. Specifically, he's talking about doing good with your money. Now, there's all kinds of resources. There's all kinds of assets we have that are really important. And I wish I could preach a sermon on all of those assets, but in particular this morning, I'm going to talk about money. So Paul says in verse 18, he says, tell the rich people of this world they are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and ready to share. That's the spirit that every follower of Jesus is supposed to have, ready to do good, on guard, 
intense, ready to move into these areas of need. I actually want to focus on just three verses this morning. So it's pretty simple. Uh, verse 17, it begins this. So, and it's really important in the context. So Paul, St. Paul, is talking to a son in the faith, uh, a, a brother, a pastor named Timothy. And Timothy is pastoring this church, so he's going to give this instructions to people in his church. That's really important. We'll come back to that at the very end. So who are these? Who would be the rich in this present age? Well, in Paul's day and in Timothy's day, there were people coming into the church. They were coming to know Jesus. Some of them were coming, many of them were coming from the underclass. Many of them were coming from the poor. Many of them were coming from um, slaves. And, and they were coming to know Christ. But some rich were coming to know Christ as well. And maybe a few people in the teeny middle class. Who would the rich of this present age be today? Well, let me just say for the sake of argument, it's probably almost all of us in this room this morning. You know, I could get up, I hurt my hand, I had amazing medical care, um, I got it stitched up, I got it disinfected, I was able to get in my car, I had gas, I was able to drive here, I stopped at McDonald's for a delicious and nutritious breakfast. <laughs> I mean, I'm rich compared to 99% of the rest of this planet. I'm well off. What does Paul say? He gives, us a, he gives Timothy to give to the rich of this present age a little user's guide for how to use money. What does he tell him? Well, the first thing I want us to see is what he does not tell Timothy to tell the rich of this present age. He does not tell them, oh, you filthy rich. You must have been a bad Christian to make that much money. Your priorities must have been messed up. You're not serving the Lord. Or, at best, that's an area of your life that's over there, but what God is really concerned about is here. He doesn't do that. Because Paul knows his mindset as a Hebrew follower of Jesus knows that money is a very useful and can be a very good asset. Let me back up to a verse, and you don't have to turn there, but let me just read one verse so I get you this this Hebrew understanding, a little, a little snippet of Hebrew, an Old Testament understanding of wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 18. It's a really complicated subject, but let me just give you a little a snippet. God tells his people, his covenant people, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Now, it is not as simple as if you have a lot of wealth, you're blessed by God. If you don't have wealth, you're not blessed by God. If you're poor, you're cursed by God. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what it is saying is that one of the signs for the covenant will be the ability to create wealth. Some of you are wealth creators. You're just like a magnet for wealth. You know how to make things, or you know how to start businesses, or you know how to sell things, or you're an entrepreneur, and you... You just know how to make money. Sometimes I wish I was one of you, but I'm not. But you are here. What, was the, what, does, what does the church say to you? Let me just say on behalf of the church, praise the Lord that you know how to make money. Praise the Lord that you know how to create wealth. That is not a bad thing. You know, 
the more money you have, the more possibilities you have to give it away. That's true. Now again, this is not an automatic correspondence, lots of money, blessed by God, no money, not blessed by God. I am not saying that, but the wealth can be good. What are you going to do with it? That's what Paul addresses here. And he says three things about this opportunity that we have with money. First, he gives us a warning. Well, he gives a warning to Timothy to give to his people, and then there's a charge, and then there's a promise. The warning is really important, so I'm going to spend a lot of time on that because the warning, if we don't get that right, it will derail the opportunity we have with money, and we'll just be completely taken out of the game. We'll be completely ineffective. So what is the warning? Well, the warning goes like this. Money wrongly understood, wrongly cherished. Money, disordered love for money will make you into a certain kind of person. It will shape you as a person, as a human being, at the core of your character, either for good or for evil. Paul starts with the bad way that it can shape you. So he says, tell the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Now, if you're a Bible word geek, that word haughty in the Greek language is the only time that word occurs in the New Testament. And it, it really means arrogant. It, it really has this, this, this spatial idea that you're, you're looking down on people because you have money and they don't. Now, you might think, like I would like to think, I'm not, I'm not arrogant. I mean, okay, so I'm, I'm maybe I'm the rich of this world, but I'm not arrogant about it because there's millionaires. There's over 2,000 billionaires on this planet. There's 42.2 million millionaires on this planet. I'm not even close to one of those. I'm not arrogant. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I'll speak for myself. There's a guy named Paul Piff who's a researcher and professor from California. He's done a lot of research on money and what it does to us. You can look him up on YouTube or TED Talks. He's done a whole bunch of experiments, various experiments like rigging games of Monopoly where certain people make lots of money and other people don't. Or he's done studies of people driving sort of very high-level cars that also make a lot of money. He's done experiments on rich people versus poor people. Would they take money out of a candy jar marked for children only? And in every experiment he's done, Higher incomes are correlated with what he calls mean behavior. He, he says it this way, as a person's level of wealth increases, feelings of compassion and empathy go down, feelings of entitlement and interest, self-interest go up. So I ask myself, is it possible that I have a streak of money meanness that's so subtle and I've just become so comfortable with it that I just... It's just normal for me. That's highly possible. Here's a test. Here's one test among many. But one test is, how do I view and treat the poor? People that are really poor. Like in this country, you walk past a homeless person or you see somebody who's, whose life has fallen apart and they can never get their act together financially. How do I look at that person? Do I have a sense of superiority like, I know pretty much why all poor people are poor? And there's pretty much one answer. 
do I have a superiority that I know what's best for the poor? If they only listen to people like me, I could fix them. There are lots of really rich people, billionaires, who are doing some good things with their money, but who also think that they have a much better idea culturally how they're going to shape that culture to be more like a Western, liberal, democratic culture with our sexual mores, with our views on all this kind of stuff. Their money is pretty much going with that agenda attached to it. On the other hand, i got to ask, how do I view the refugee crisis in our world, a hot political topic? Now, we can debate how many refugees we take in and, and where we should take them in from, but first of all, 50% of the refugees on this planet are probably followers of Jesus. But even if they're not, what is our call as a church to do something about this, one of the greatest crises, humanitarian crises of the last 100 years? What is our call? Let me give you an example. There's a man named Ambrose back in the late 300s, 384. He was a bishop in the town of Milan. And his, he had this radical leadership as a bishop that as refugees came from the war zone countries, his goal was that these poor should be absorbed almost unnoticed into the Christian community. As one scholar says, the Christians of Milan were urged by Ambrose to see them as, not as others, but as brothers and sisters. And so Ambrose would boast, okay, you pagan religious leaders, show me what you're doing for the poor. Show me what you're doing for refugees. I'll show you what our churches are doing. Now that's, I think, a much more healthier kind of pride. Not pride looking down at people, but pride this is what our church does for people. Do we do that? Brothers and sisters, I want you to consider if you have any wealth arrogance. I do. I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, I was raised with a lot of privilege. I got some wealth arrogance. We need to repent of that. There's also the delusion that money brings. So Paul goes on to say, don't trust, uh, don't tell the rich not to put their, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We tend to think when it comes to money that if I have more money, I'm gonna, it's going to be more happiness. If I have more money, it's going to lead to more power and influence. If I have more money, it's going to fill the emptiness inside of me. If I have more money, it's going to give me more security for the rest of my life. It becomes an idol. But this is a lover that will always let you down. It's a lover. Eventually, this lover, if you make this your idol, you make this your lover, it will let you down every time. And that's why Paul says, don't trust in the uncertainty of it. Instead, how do we get free from this arrogance? How do we get free from this, this delusion of money? Well, look at verse 17, the end of the verse. Put your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What a beautiful statement. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything I have is a gift from God. I might say, well, I've worked hard for my money. I've been really creative. I've patched together two or three jobs sometimes in my life. I've worked hard. Yeah, I have. But who gave me the physical health? Who gave me the ability? Who gave me the parents that taught me these lessons? Who gave me the good school system that I grew up in that get me launched? Who, gave, who paid for my college education? Who gave me the brain? It was other people in my life and the Lord. It was all a gift. 
You see, when you trust, God is the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Even your salvation, your standing before a holy almighty God is by grace. It is a gift of God who Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. God justifies the ungodly, as Paul says. If that's true, then there's no room in my heart for arrogance. It would strip it all away. So that's the warning Paul gives. Give to Timothy to give to his people. Give this warning. But then there's also a charge. And the charge is in verse 18. Tell them that they are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and ready to share. There's a couple phrases there. Be rich in good works. Just want to pause there. Because there are more, there's more than one way, there's a couple different ways to be rich. Multiple ways to be rich. You're a rich person. In what sense are you rich? There's one way to be rich where you have lots of money and you have lots of stuff and you have lots of possessions. There's another way to be rich where you have relationships. You have opportunities to give. You have opportunities to love. You have opportunities to serve. You are rich in good works. Just because you're saved by grace doesn't mean we're not supposed to be rich in good works. Look at the other phrase, to be generous and ready to share. Be ready. Be ready, Paul says. Don't just wait for needs to come to you. Be intentional. Be proactive. Think. Plan ahead. How are you going to be ready? You know, I was thinking about this sermon, and I thought this is a perfect opportunity to drop in my standard favorite illustration about sports. Be ready, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to broaden myself. I'm going to give you a musical analogy here, which Father Brett helped me with. Thank you. So there is in the orchestra this big drum, which Father Brett told me is called a bass drum. And the bass drumist has a thing called the mallet. So he or she will whack that bass drum with the mallet at the appointed time. But they're not drumming all the time. But they've got to be ready. So watch that person sometime. I love watching bass drummers. They're like, they're like a cornerback. They're like a goalie in soccer, you know? And they're just like ready, boom, 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 boom. They're all set. They're prepared. They're planned ahead. So Paul is saying, in your giving, be that prepared. Be ready. Know when your part comes, you're going to be ready to play it. Generosity. So if you're a married person, talk to your spouse. Make sure that you have a plan. If you're celibate, if you're single, what is your plan? What is your heart like? Is it like Paul the engineer? You're ready. Let me just get really practical here. Because what does it mean to be generous? That's really subjective. Does the Bible offer any other kind of objective guidelines for giving? Well, as a matter of fact, it does. It's called the tithe. And what is the tithe? Well, I'm going to define it this way, and then, let me, and then allow me to explain it and tell why I think this, okay, what the tithe is. So the tithe is a 10% gift of love because you are loved off your gross income given 
to the local church for the work of Christ in the world. 10% of your gross income given to the local church, motivated by love. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, wow, that sounds crazy. I didn't grow up with that. That sounds weird. That sounds controlling. That sounds scary. Let me just tell you when I came to that conviction. That might help, first of all. So I actually, I was pastoring a church out on Long Island until about 2009. I was not tithing as the senior pastor of that church. I had various rationalizations for why I was not doing it, and it was a little complicated. Then I moved here in 2010, started attending res. I was not a pastor, and I was not ever, ever planning on being a pastor. I know I've said that a lot, so I won't go into that, but I was never going to be a pastor again. It was then that I came to a conviction, a resolution in my heart that I need to be tithing. As an act of obedience to the Lord, I want to start tithing. And it was hard. I went through various stages. So if you're thinking this morning, well, wow, I just don't know how to do that. Well, let me bring on a couple friends of mine that I've had up here before. There's Believing Matt and there's Skeptical Matt. Remember them? Two of my favorite people. So Skeptical Matt would go, really? That's in the Bible? Believing Matt would say, well, actually, it's a lot of places in the Bible. Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Minor Prophets. You want me to go on? No, please do not go on. <laughs> but didn't Jesus save us from all that Old Testament law stuff and tithing included? Believing Matt would say, well, it's not nearly that simple. Actually, the Old Testament law has a very important part in the life of the Christian, which I don't have time to go into right now, Skeptical Matt. But just take it for granted that Jesus did not abolish the tithe. Actually, he only mentioned it once, and he had his chance to just say, oh, no more tithing, it's done, but he didn't do that. Why gross income? That's gross. That's a lot. <laughs> well, in the Bible, it talks a lot about first fruits. It's your very best. It's your cream of the crop. It's your, the first. So based on that, extrapolate out to that. It's, it's the first of your paycheck. It's, it's the top. Why the church? televangelists, pastors asking for money. Seems like a conflict of interest. Very sketchy. Pastors are notorious sinners. Finally, that's something we can agree on. <laughs> chief of sinners. Not just notorious, but chief. And yet, what else in the Bible is called the bride of Christ? Skeptical Matt. What else is called the body of Christ on earth? It's the local church. I just think that should be your first priority. Now, I'll just be regular, Matt, over here. <laughs> now, if you're not tithing, the last thing I want you to do is just walk away and go, wow, they don't want me here, or I'm a really bad Christian, or I just feel so much shame, or man, I'm really messed up. Um, I do, that's the last message I want you to get. Because the Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's therefore no condemnation about where you're at right now with tithing. But I also hope it will light a fire in you, light a fire in you to reconsider what, where do I want to be at with the Lord with this? What is my convictions about this? Is, is Father Matt right? Is, let me search the scripture. There's also a promise 
that Paul gives us here. So I said there's a warning, there's a charge, and then there's a promise. And the promise is in verse 19, where it says this. Again, Paul tells Timothy to tell the people of his church, by being ready to share, by being generous, they are thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. St. Paul is following a tradition from Jesus, one line of tradition. And the tradition is that what you give now, how you give now, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. He talks about like this really, he has this really concrete image. It's like the foundation of a house. The good works that we do financially right now, they're like laying that foundation. It's very specific. It's very concrete, literally. Your treasure goes ahead of you. Financial advisors, if you meet with a financial planner, financial advisor, my brother's a financial advisor, and so he would say, when you're like 25, you should be planning, 25 or 30 or whatever, you should be planning 40 years ahead. Where do you want to be in 40 years? That's really good advice. And I even think that's biblically good advice. But what Paul is saying here and what Jesus was saying, 40 years is good, but you should also be planning 4,000 years from now, 40,000 years from now. And you're thinking, I'm not going to be alive then. Oh, yes, you will be. Do you think Jesus was just smoke and mirrors? I am the resurrection and the life. If I'm raised, you will also be raised. So St. Paul says, take hold of that which is truly life indeed. Store up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. Let me uh, go back to that picture with my friend, Pastor Apatol. And I was in here this morning, and Hudson had it up on the screen, and I surprised myself. I just, I was looking at the picture, and I was hearing the worship team play, and I, I just got really choked up thinking about this story and thinking about my friend Appa um, and thinking about how much I love this brother in Christ and how fierce he is for the gospel and for persons with disabilities. And, and then I thought about Paul this guy from Ohio, this engineer from Ohio that I've never met and probably never will meet in this life, and I just thought that is going to have implications for this life. Children being baptized, people coming to know the Lord, people that feel forgotten and marginalized, knowing the love of Jesus, um, the poorest of the poor, below the poorest of the poor, having hope through this little church in the middle of nowhere in Jawaka province in Papua New Guinea. And it just, and not only in this life, but in the life to come. What a treasure. What could ever beat that joy? You see how God wants to maximize our generosity so he can maximize our impact, so he can maximize our freedom from the grip of money. Let me just go back to one thing, application for all of us. So I said that Paul is talking to Timothy, who's talking to the church. And I love this because this, this whole instruction is being given in the context of a loving family, a community of people called the church, living under Jesus, living as brothers and sisters, rich and poor, 
People that are great money generators and people that have really problems making money or people that have chosen careers that just lead to great income possibilities and people that don't. All these people are together. They're doing community together and they're helping each other grow in the discipleship of generosity. That's what we're trying to do in this series. That's what we're trying to do in the workshop you're going to hear about this Wednesday. And I would just add, I was talking to a guy in this church who's a very successful businessman. I consider him a successful businessman. And I said, what would you say? I'm preaching on this passage. What would you say? And he said, I would ask people, who are you accountable to about money? Who are you talking to about money? Is there somebody in your life? I mean, maybe if you're married, it's a spouse. But maybe, maybe you need somebody else. Maybe it's a fellow person in your field. Maybe it's a, a friend in your res group. Maybe it's a, a Christian brother or sister that they know you. They know you're giving. And he told me a story. He said, I know three Christian business owners who own very large companies. They make a lot of money. And they are responsible for a lot of people. So every year they meet around January 1st. They meet the three of them. They spend a couple days together. And they open their books and they say, this is how much I'm going to make this year. Or this is how much I think I'm going to make. What do you think? Do you think that's fair to my employees? And they say, this is where my money is going to be given this year. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's a wise investment of my, of my money? They speak into each other's lives. Now, why can't we do something like that in the body of Christ? Why is that like such a horrible taboo that we can never touch? God says, in the church, teach them to be generous and ready to share so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. That's what we want. So maybe this morning your first step is just to tell the Lord, Lord, I want that. I want that which is truly life. And all the way I'm trying to get it is not the right way to get it. I want your way. I want to be generous and ready to share so that I may seize that which is truly life. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.